Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday morning. Let's see if I can do the field podcast today, which is always being sponsored by Mishpacha Stefanski. <clears throat> I mentioned yesterday, I'm now I'm all out of sponsors, so I hope by, uh, by next week some people will step forward. Um, today, since this is uh, Parshas Yisro, so you have the Ten Commandments, and the Aserah Zedibra has always had a very funny history, as I'm sure some know. Um, as far as davening is concerned, because we don't include the part of davening. On the other hand, in the back of the sitter, is that do you have them? You know, it's up there when they say the the different zechiros and the animamas. If you look in the back, I don't have a sitter in front of me, but you know, everybody knows. In many sitter, they have the Ten Commandments over there. Again, which one should you do? You know, this one or the one in Dwarm. Uh And I think most people are familiar from the Gemara. It's always been a controversy, even though it's a little bit strange. And from that is mistyfed many uh, sorts of things. So the position of the Aserza Dibras in Tefillah has always been something that scholars actually have written about <clears throat> because it's a wonderful example of clashes between competing existential dynamics in the Jewish and the rabbinic and the Torah tradition. On the one hand, you think that that should be a central text that you should say every day. After all, in some respects, listen closely how I'm saying this. In some respects, the Ten Commandments is the most important part. Why? Because it's the only thing where God spoke directly to the Jewish people. Okay? Whether it's the first two commandments or all eight com- all ten commandments, you know, however you learn it, but Anochi Velo Yeah, for sure. Right? You know, after that, it's, a, it's not clear. So, I mean, they heard, you know, it's Kolo Shamatami Kolation, all that business. Whatever that means. But that's not true of the rest of the Torah, where Hashem did it through Moshe. So something where you have intermediary, even though Moshe, our whole religion, stands on the idea that the Maimon Harsini was to legitimate precisely the Shlichus of Moshe. As it says in the Pesach, that God says to Moshe, in this week's Parsha, that uh, I'm going to come and appear to you. The Rambab, in Hilchus Yisraeli Torah, wherever it is, at the beginning, you know, makes a big deal out of this, and properly so. Okay? So the whole purpose of my Marasini was, look, Hashem said, I ain't giving you all 613 in one shot. I'm going to give you Ten Commandments right now, which he pronounces. <clears throat> the rest of it is going to go through Moshe. So I want to make sure that Moshe is not a liar or anything like that. Shine. So, again, in a certain sense, the Aserah Zedib is more important than any other part of the Torah. The problem with that, which I don't have a problem with it, but the problem in that is that later in history it came to be seen in the following sense. If this is the most important part, then it's the most binding part. Halachically binding part. Whoa, that gave the rabbis a fit. Because there is no difference in terms of legal obligation, halachic obligation, between the Ten Commandments on the one hand and, you know, shotness on the other, anything. 
all the tag misses, any derises we call over here, is a deriso. <laughs> you get it? You got to do it. You got to do it. So as we know, most of the mitzvahs don't come like that. Um, directly. Only Yasser said Dibras. Um, and maybe only two of them. So, because it is, we know the following. Uh, at least, I shouldn't say we know the following. The archaeologists have a field day with this. Long, long, long ago, what was the davening? I've talked about it every once in a while. Let's say Bayes Rishon, for example. There wasn't any sitter. This is before Anshu Genesagdol invented formal prayer, like the Ram says, beginning of Hilchus Tefillah. I've mentioned many times. So what was it like if you live in David Amel's time, for example, or Elia Navi? What was the davening? So the Rambam says, like the Quakers, you say whatever you want. Okay, I get that. And, you know, I do understand it. Those who are Myricks, they don't make it. Those who are more eloquent or perhaps have more pressures in their life will have more to talk to God about. And those less will less. Okay, fine. But Krishna, they had to say. Right? Krishna is the Raisa. So if you want to go way back when, what did a farmer and the other guys do? They say, <coughs> Like a confession of faith. I don't, I don't think they said, <laughs> That came later. And I don't know if they said, Vyahafta and the other stuff in there. That depends, you know, how you want to read the Talmudic sources. But, um, you know, basically imagine the farmer of yesteryear saying, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad. Which is quite a statement. Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad. Believe in one God. By its recent period, it was the time of Vodazara, etc. Okay. Okay. What about the Aserah Sedibris? So, I don't know. Right? The reason is I don't know. We don't have the archaeological. It doesn't say in the Tanakh. I'm not sure it even says in the Nevi'im, in the Nach. Does it ever record anybody being mispalo? Which is interesting. Um, Yeshua showed him. I don't mean like Yeshua talking to God. I mean, do you ever find the case in the Nach where a person just davening, fulfilling the mitzvah, as the Rambam puts it, of tefillah, you know, talking to Hashem? I don't believe so, okay? That's different than a Navi speaking prophetically to God or something like that. Uh, you know, the average uh, guy out there, the average girl, I don't think so, which is just interesting. Um, and if you ask me what is the oldest prayers that we have, you won't find it in the Gemara, really. The archaeologists can take it back, I think. They found this not long ago. It's just it. When I'm saying it's just interesting, I think the 600 BCE or something like that. So towards the end of the kingdom of Yehuda before the Korban, they found Yivrecha Hashem Yishmerchi Rampanavilech. They found Berkos Kohanim. Do you remember that? It was like in the in the, in the papers, not that long ago, and that was the oldest physical, uh, you know, piece of paper or parchment or whatever that had something approaching a prayer. Um, yeah, Berkos Kohanim. And remember, we understand that the uh, once upon a time, uh, you know, the Kohanim would bless the people. I guess every day or something. I don't know how that worked. If there was no shoal and there was no formal davening, so what does Berchus Kohanim exactly mean? Does it mean only in the base of Migdash? That's a good question I'm raising. Uh, but in the Baishani period, uh, 
which things are not exactly the same, but on the other hand, it's very far removed from what we have today. Um, I remember they found in the some of the papyrus, it's famous for the archaeology freaks, the Nash papyrus from Professor Nash. They found in Egypt, like a piece of uh, papyrus, you know, paper of the old, old sort, with uh, Krishma plus Aserasa Dibris. Get it? Krishna Aserasa Dibris. Which seems like, it's always been interpreted to scholars, I think. I'm not an archaeologist. I know the basics. Um, as that was like a, quote-unquote, a very, very primitive sitter. And so here you have somebody living, ooh, roughly around the time of the Septuagint, you know, 280 BCE, approximately, in the middle of the Baishini period, um, 100 years before Hanukkah, I say again, 100 years before Hanukkah, and you have an Egypt, and you have a from Jew, and the davening, as far as you can tell from that fragment, includes saying that Sarah said Dibras and the Krishna, which, by the way, makes perfect sense. In other words, what was prayer in the diaspora in the Second Temple era, when the Jews, so many of them, lived in Greek-speaking areas? Um, you know, Egypt, uh, Greece, Asia Minor, South Italy, etc. Okay? And they had invented something called the synagogue, for which there was no precedent. And they had some kind of prayer. Um, we know what the Kriya Torah looked like, because that was in Greek. That we have records of, the Targum and so forth. But what was the davening part? They, did they have the Shemonastri that they had, that they were producing in Israel? It's hard to tell. But it seems very much that... The key elements, I mean, Matt, notice, imagine walking into a shul in Athens, you know, in 250 BCE, uh, a shul, okay, a synagogue. The davening would be composed, other than the Kriya Torah, that they would all recite Shema together, which is a very interesting statement in the Greco world, you know, we don't hold from all these idols and, and the Olympian gods, etc. And the Aserah said difference. Because that's what Hashem spoke to Moshe. And I'm not even going with those who say, like Sajigon and the others, that the whole Tariq Mitzvah is located within that Sarasad Dibris. You know that. To be perfectly honest, people did feel that way. Um, because Philo writes like that. You know, Philo, who lived roughly in the Baishani period, I mean, late, late Baishani period, Philo Alexandria. Actually, if I remember correctly, he has some discussion in which he does, you know, less fully than Sajigon, the idea that the Aserah uh, Zedibris, you know, <clears throat> contains the whole business in short form. If you get the sitter of a Sajigon, I think you're all familiar with what I'm saying. If you get a sitter of Sajigon, he, he has all the riches to try to explain how all the the uh, tired mitzvahs are located within the Aserah uh, um speaking in general terms. Uh, what's really interesting is in the fill-in that they found in Masada, they found not only the Krishna and that stuff, there was also the Aserah Zedibris. All of which sounds like, now you can't prove, because who the heck knows who the people in Masada were? Were they regular from? Were they sectarian from? It's hard to tell. You know, they committed mass suicide against the Romans. Uh, they did check the mikvah and the mikvah was the right size. <laughs> I remember that. But just because you found a, a, a sitter or something from there, 
uh, which they didn't, um, doesn't mean that that was a quote unquote a from thing. Now I'm using the word from in this in the sense of the ruach hacham nochimene, you know, mainline orthodox. But it is interesting, is it not, that the aseres adibris were in the tefillin, the physical tefillin, um, and my point is, as best as I can tell. For perfectly understandable reasons, the Aseris Adibra is the most dramatic moment in the Chumash, where Hashem, Rabban Shalom Bechvod Abiyatzmo, speaks to the Jewish people, reveals himself to the Jewish people. Everything in the Torah revolves around that. Either that story holds or it doesn't hold. If it doesn't hold, the rest of the Torah is baloney. If it holds, then the rest of the Torah is valid. So it's like that. It's like that. And you could totally hear that the Iker of Davening, especially in the Diaspora, also in Eretz Israel, and the early form would be some kind of public pronouncement of, of Krishna and reading of the Asarasadivras. Reading of Asarasadivras. Now, as I'm sure at least some of the listeners know, because they're from the Gemara, there came a time where they, the rabbis came out against it and they banned the Asarasadivras from the Tefillah. Because Tarum Saminim. Because the problem they had with the early Christians, Talmud Yeshu, this goes back to the time in incipient Christianity when the early Christians were Jewish and it was a sectarian form of Judaism. As best as I understand it, the early Christians like St. Paul said, the whole whole Yisod is that you do not have to keep the Tariq Mitzvahs. As you know, they say you don't have to keep kosher, you don't have to do this. You don't have to keep Shabbos the same way. You know, the whole point was you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to. That was the biggest selling point of Christianity. Uh, you don't have to physically circumcise. You know, it's enough to circumcise your heart, etc. So, uh, I, how can you get away with that? How can you claim you're Jewish and not have to keep the tired mitzvahs? And the answer would be, not all the Torahs of the same value. There are things that really count. And things that don't count as much. Oh, so what the early Christians were doing was saying as follows. Even you frummies admit that the Aseris Adibris is more, uh, shall I say, holy because of the character of the occasion than the other parts of the Chumash. So we assert, we early Christians assert that not only is it more holy because it came directly from Hashem, but the reason that God did it that way was to say, this Ten Commandments counts, the other stuff, which I'm just sending you through Moshe, either take it or leave it, or, you know, when Yashka comes along, you drop it. You know, some variation along those lines, then you don't have to do them. So you don't have to keep all the laws in Vayikra, about Midbird, and so forth, right? You don't have to. Only the stuff in the Aserah Sadibras. Lo Tirzach, Lo Sino, Lo Signo, etc. This, of course, was an interesting argument. Obviously, the Chacham felt threatened by this. Uh, this is the Tkufa when they created La Moshinim, originally La Minim, against the uh, Christians, although I said the other day it might start against the Sadducees, but it doesn't matter. As far as we know, the Tzedukim never said what I'm talking about. The Terumas Aminim, Rashi says Talmud Yeshu. Rashi does not say it's a Tzedukim from the Pharisee versus the Sadducees, um, which is interesting. And it fits in with what we know of early Christianity. Uh, even a Christian today who's a thoughtful person, I mean, I've met people like that. Sometimes say, you know, I'm not so crazy about Christianity. What gave them the right to drop the tired misses? Uh, they don't buy that kind of argument.
but apparently that was a central argument. At that point, the Chachamim deliberately downplayed the Aserasa Dibris as part of a tactic. He deliberately downplayed the Aserasa Dibris. Now, of course, they didn't deny what is obvious, the qualitative difference between getting something directly from the mouth of the Bonshalom on the one hand versus through an intermediary like Moshe on the other hand. But they strongly uh, discounted it to the notion that just because one thing is direct and the other is indirect, that there's any chiluk whatsoever in the chiv involved, in the obligation. You're ob- obligated to keep everything. And that's why it says when the base of was around, I think people know this, they used to uh, say the Aserah Sadibris every day, but now they dropped for, 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 for the uh, Terumus Aminim. This is why there's a whole big fight, I don't want to get into it now. Do you stand up or not stand up for the Aserah Sadibris? You know, the old line is, you don't. The Rambam has a famous chuba. You don't. The Rambam, of course, being always very concerned about heresy, you know, totally back that. And so, what emerged was this rabbinical downplay of the Aserah Sadibris as part of the liturgy. If it was ever part of the film, like you find in Masada, that was gone. And in general, uh, I would say that in the post Corbin and the rabbinic era, the Talmudic era, uh, the 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 whole notion that Sarah said is something special was downplayed, even though they agreed with that, but they're afraid of the consequences. If you say that's special, you're saying the other stuff is not special, and that we do not hold. We do hold that Sarah Sidibris is special. That doesn't mean the things we got through Moshe Rabbeinu was not special. Special in a different way. You get it? In a different way. Now, I hear, and so do you, the Svara behind what the Chacham were doing. At the same time, this would have happened, in the basement was destroyed in the year 70, so we're talking about the year 100, CE, 200, 300, you know, those years, what we call the early, uh, uh, we call, uh, excuse me, late antiquity, you know, the later years of the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, and and there were indeed all kind of Christian groups running all over the place, many of whom people are not familiar with today, the Nestorians, the Coptics, the the, the Armenians, the this one, that one, you know, the, the Ethiopic church, and so on and so forth, Monophysites, are all different types. And uh, uh, they would obviously foreground the Ten Commandments to the, at the expense of the other things. So this would become a contention, Zach, um, in, in the early years. And yet, until then, until the rise of Christianity, it seems to have been like an Iker part of Yiddishkeit. And it seems to be, as, as far as I can tell, it's one of the things that every Jew said all the time, every day. Probably male and female, for all I know. Now, did they memorize that? I don't know if they did. I mean, you know, it's not so easy to memorize it. On the other hand, I never tried. You know, if you can memorize Ashray, if you can memorize Aleno, you can probably memorize the passage that Sarah said different. I mean, truth of the matter is, I probably can do it, but it's not fair. I'm a Balkari. I've been a Balkari off and on all my life since I was 13 years old. But you, you know what I'm saying. It could be done, right? Uh, it could definitely be done. Anyhow, um, and so this created, I would call an existential tension between the old school and the natural desire on the one hand to say the Aserah Sedibris, because that's when the Bonshom spoke to us, um, the most direct expression of his will, and the other side, which is Tarum Zaminim, therefore Ram of No freedom. And uh, this goes throughout all the halachi literature. 
I imagine you're familiar with the fact that in the very first page of the Shulchan Aruch, uh, you know, when you open up Shulchan Aruch Archaim, it's Dini Ashkamas Abokir, so it says that um, has all these rules and regulations, for example, you know, Roy Lechol Yar Shamai Meitzer Bedog Al-Khurim Beis do you fulfill that one? Do you have a moment every day when you feel anxiety over the Chorban Beis Amigdash? Okay? Uh, and then, among other things, it says, Tov, you don't have to, but this is the Yosef Kar, the Machaber. Tov Lomar Pasha Sakedo. So you don't have to, but Tov Lomar Pasha Sakedo, which I say, Pasha Saman, Aseris Adibris, who Pasha Omen Choshlam Chatzis Vyashem. So you really just said, he said, you should say in the davening every day that Sarah's there as well, Tov. No, this is not part of the liturgy. That's why they have at the end of the, you know, all the way after the davening. It's extra. And by making an extra, you're in this way trying to have the natural desire, the organic desire in on one hand, to every day you should recite something as lofty as the Ten Commandments. On the other hand, La Fuki Aminim. You don't put this in the liturgy because then it sounds like this is more important than the other stuff. Now, that's the Machaber. The um, Ramah, quoting Chubas Arashva, says, There you have it. You yourself, as a personal Zach, should say it. The Shul should say it as a Tzibur because of the Tarim Zaminim business. So, writing that Machaber Ramah is. Um, is demonstrated, is manifested, this kind of um, conflictedness, you might say. On the one hand, we want to say it, and we do hold that it's so holy. And we do hold that it's kind of holier than the other things. On the other hand, we're very, at the same time, saying like this, just because it's holier doesn't mean that there's less of an obligation to be kind the rest of the Tariq Mitzvahs. Yeah, you see? So it's kind of funny in that, in that regard. Um... In the history of Kali Yisrael, if you're into the different Nusuks out there, especially in the Middle Ages, especially into the Geniza, you know, the Cairo Geniza stuff, you can find that there were Nusuks that, that included, as part of the regular tefillah, part of the public thing, the recitation of Ten Commandments. Uh, you find the Cairo Geniza, uh, the, the Minhag Sicily and Corfu, which is its own Minhag, you know what I mean? Like when the Bartonura visited there. There was a the the Yehuda Sicily with Corfu. Uh, Sicily was a separate kingdom for many years, off and on in the, in the Middle Ages. And it was a football. It was conquered by the Muslims, then reconquered by the Byzantines, then conquered by the Normans, and so forth and so on. So, uh, in their thing, they had it, and they certainly were in a Catholic country, where it's worried about Tarum Saminim. Um, I've seen a friend of mine wrote an article so uh, long ago. I think, um, Yaakov Meir, um, the, the, what did he say? Uh, I think, what, the Hasidi Ashkenaz had such a Zach, the women in the Hasidi Ashkenaz had such a Zach to recite that Sarasadibus uh, every day. Uh, you understand? That's what I mean, the clash. You see, from Jews, especially Hasidi Ashkenaz, you know, real from Jews coming from the Kishkas. These are the people who came up with the with the, with the sphere with all a lot of chumras. They had it in there to say that there's a difference, you know, every day. The chasinim al shemaisa. 
And so it was going, in my opinion, let's put it this way, as best as I can tell, I think that uh, as the Middle Ages proceeded, there was uh, a tendency to restore the Asersa difference as a formal part of the liturgy. Now, the reason is simple. The original Christians, from the time of the Gemara, that's the Minim. That's not the Christians of later. That became a totally separate religion. Christi- uh, l- let me put it this way. A Jew, in the time of the Gemara, may have encountered people in Shul who were Meshachistin, I say over here. And I don't mean Lubavitch, I mean Jesus. You understand? They had such Meshachistin running around. That's exactly why they made Lamoshinim, and that's why they said, don't do that, there's a difference. But after a while, by the time you get to the 4th century, whatever, um, and the Council of Nicaea, and, you know, the development of a full-blooded Christianity as a separate religion, which, by the way, is the theme of the Toldus Yeshu. Not that that's a true story, but, I mean, you know, you see the Jews were quite aware of this. So when Christianity developed along its own lines, the Jews were not influenced by them anymore. So you don't really have to worry about Terum Saminim. What Jew was tempted in the Middle Ages to switch religion theologically. Come on, nobody. I mean, you know, you always find one or two here or there. The Jews, such Jews who converted the Middle Ages to Christianity, did so for ulterior motives um, or under religious persecution and pressure. Not because they, oh, the Aserah Sadebris, you know. First of all, who the heck read the New Testament? They didn't know what's in it. Any more than 99% of the people over here listening today, I'm sure. Uh, you never opened the read the New Testament. You don't know about the Pauline doctrines and all the rest of it. Uh, and so it's not no Gaia, you understand? There's no Terumus Aminim. Uh, there's no fear that somebody may say, oh, because of the Ten Commandments, you know, the other stuff. Why am I saying this? <clears throat> because to the Jews in the Middle Ages, the Christian religion developed mainly along the lines of uh, Roman Catholic. And to the Jew in the Middle Ages, I would say 95% of Jews in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholicism, as manifest in the Middle Ages, was literally idol worship. So therefore they totally dismissed it. Because they were into statues, and, uh, I mean, mamish statues, you know, and bowing down to them, and saints, and relics, and all kind of material objects to which they ascribed in one form or another divine powers, even though at the same time they said it's not divine. It is and it isn't. So from the point of view of the Jew in the Middle Ages, which is a long time, Christianity is a kind of a Vodazara. <laughs> okay? Now, not everybody held it, but Rove, and especially Hamun Am level. If you saw a procession in one of these Catholic things in the Middle Ages, I mean, look, Mamashle, you know, look, Mamashle, Vodazara. You know, intellectually, you might, you know, be Mechalic and all, but most Jews weren't into the intellectual Mechalkim. It's a Vodazara. So I don't have to worry about the Catholics saying, oh, the Ten Commandments counts, the other stuff doesn't count. Who the heck are you? You're a bunch of idol worshippers. <laughs> you know, go kiss the next uh, statue of a saint that comes down the line, you know, especially if you got his knuckle or his uh, foot. I, I'm not, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. You know, I don't know if I ever told you a story. Probably I have. Many years ago, at least 25, 30 years ago, I once saw Professor David Ruderman, who's a well-known historian, early modern. He's a reformed rabbi, actually. Uh, 
but he was a big uh, history professor. And the long and the short of it is, he was expert in Italy, you know what I mean? And, uh, student of Jacob Katz. And he had some occasion, uh, I'm recounting this as best as I can. He had some occasion to be in Padua, in Italy. And, um, you know, when he was a student, I guess. And the Padua, even today, has a small Jewish community. So I think I'm talking about the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, Be'erich. And the local rabbi over there, who was an Orthodox rabbi, very modern, but or, totally Orthodox rabbi, uh, invited him for Shabbos, and this uh, Professor Rudiman, who's no relation to Rabbi Rudiman from Baltimore. And um, he, and after I had the Shabbos meal, I remember the guy's reform, after I had the Shabbos meal, he said, you want to see a Vodazar? Come with me. Um, and so they went, this is Saturday afternoon, and they went to the cathedral in Padua. They went inside, and it was a big deal because it was St. Anthony Day. And the TV was there, and the media, and the, 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 the mayor, and all the machers. And they're having some kind of religious service on St. Anthony Day. Uh, what's shot St. Anthony Day? You go into, I'm telling you what he told me. He had this big church, which was packed, and everybody, the seats are arranged toward the middle, and in the middle was uh, the relic that they're all worshipping or, or adoring, not worshipping exactly, semi yes, semi no, and the long and the short of it was, it was a bottle, uh, it was pickled, they had the finger of St. Anthony. <laughs> you get it? What they said was the finger of St. Anthony, whatever. As a long... <laughs> At some pickle juice. That's what they did. Now, now, points like this. If you're Jewish, you're like, the heck with this and Vodazara. So I don't care about Tarumas, I mean, what they hold about that Sarasatibris. This feeling that I'm expressing to you now, this is why, as the Middle Ages proceeded, I think there was a strong natural um, uh, tendency, feeling, we should go back and, 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 and restore. That serves the difference to the davening. To the formal davening. The reason it didn't happen, as best as I can tell, is because of the opposition of the Rizal. Isn't that funny? The Rizal was very strongly opposed to it. He said, if the Gemara, they had said not to, you know, Dari, everything in the Gemara is not just Gemara, it's also uh, uh, Kabbalah, and you know, he was against it. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with with not doing it, um, so and there and there you have the situation today. Now um, you can. I have to tell you because I don't. Uh, I do this, the the zechiras and I do the animamins. I just never got in the habit of doing the sefer But since this week, we're talking about uh, Parsha Yisroel, so you may want to look into sitter after you know the davening somewhere. And see how they lay out their Sarasa Dibras, and perhaps you want to say it. Because the Machabra says Tov, Lomar. As long as not in the minion, the Ramah says it's a good idea, just as long as not, it's Biyachid. Not but Seaboard. I'll say one last piece. Does this, in, 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 maybe I'm getting a little too historical over here, but it's, it's okay. The same sensibility has popped up from time to time in from. Farm and Charles and Shubas and things like that. Should you have 
the Ten Commandments on the Iron Kodesh or on the Shoal Walls. Uh, as we all know, um, the monk in Dovid is not that old, historically. And so how do you tell a place with a shoal? One way was to always have Ten Commandments there. Now, theoretically, a Christian church might also have Ten Commandments, but I don't think they do, which is interesting. Um, so I've seen all my life, and so have you. You go outside, you in, in, especially, I would say, in the in the sticks, in the hinterland, it's probably a better idea to have the, the, the something looks like the Ten Commandments up there than the Mug and Dovid, because the Ten Commandments, the guy must respect. But is that proper? We just said before that you were Mavatal saying that Sarah said difference because it sounds like that's more important than the other parts. And if you look in the Pisky Chubas, if this interests you, you know, where he brings all the Raiden and all that kind of stuff. So indeed, after bringing down, you know, the Shulchanach that I just mentioned, right? Um, the, uh, so, he said, I'm reading the Piskei Chubas now, Piskei Chubas. He said, Lefize, ain't nochem mashanogim b'harbi botek nesios lichtovel atzayna seres adibris mial arnakodesh or parochas over knesil basic nesos uchadoma. He said, therefore, it's not right to do what all the shuls do, including mine, which is to have a picture somewhere in the shul of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Omnum parnoguf b'kach b'harbi kills hakodesh l'amichu l'chambiyonam. But on the other hand, a lot of shuls have done it, and nobody's made a big stink out of it. Uh, you know who has a thing on this? Rabbi Yosef Zechariah is stern in his Shalos and Shubas, you know, from the Shavu. Uh, I, I remember he has a thing on that. And uh, if you look at the bottom, on the footnotes, if this is a subject that interests you, you need to write this week, or subject that interests you, that, that's why I would send you to the Piskei Shubas. So, the interesting question that the most is reflective of the Jewish history that we never follow a straight line. We always have, we twist and turn because in Jewish history, we're never on our own. We're always in other people's uh, uh, domination. And we had to take into account, you know, various cultural factors. And to my mind, there was a classic example of this. Anyway, I just wanted to share you uh, that with you this week. And with that, once again, I wish you a good job. I want to thank Mishpach and Shafansky for sponsoring this. And as I said at the beginning, I hope we'll have some sponsors for Sunday and Monday this coming week. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.